0: mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 7. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 7. We are in a series of the miracles of Christ. And we're going to take this into two parts. We're hitting volume one this time. We know that there are about 35 specific Unique miracles of Jesus Christ mentioned within the gospel records. We know that he's done more than that. The gospel record of John says if we had written down everything that Jesus had done, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it all. So God has chosen to emphasize 35 specific miracles that Jesus had done. For the purpose that each one of them are teaching us more about God, more about His miracle working power, more about prayer, more about how God works. Each one of them are teaching us something important. So it's important as we go through them to see how God is working. And so we find our way to the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 7. The gospel record of Luke chapter 7. And if you don't mind, let's start in verse number 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 7 and verse 1. The word of God says this. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he shall do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue." Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now (coughs) not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou should enterest into my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say to one, Go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark an amazing saying that Jesus describes of this centurion and the gospel record of Luke chapter number seven? The gospel record of Luke chapter seven, and notice with me in verse number nine what Jesus says about the centurion, great faith. Luke seven verse nine where Jesus says great faith. Imagine that. That Jesus said of this centurion, great faith. Now we know that faith is very important to God. The Bible says very clearly in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. That without faith it is impossible to please him. Now that's a pretty clear declarative statement. Without faith it is impossible to please him. So if we're going to please him, what is the basic requirement of anything to please him? Faith. Faith is required. Faith is required. So we come to the question: Well, what is faith? If it is impossible to please God without faith, that faith is required at the very basic opponent to be pleasing him, what is faith? Well, the Bible defines it in Luke or Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two, simply as this: looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. You know what faith is? It's looking unto Jesus. Knowing who he is and believing him. Taking God at his word. That's pretty simple. Just to believe what God said. And so with that definition in mind, let's look and see this description, this miracle that occurred that ends with Jesus saying, great faith. This man had great faith faith. Notice, if you don't mind, as we kind of work through here, let's see some things about this man. The first thing I want to show you is what others said of this man. What others said of this man. Notice with me in verse number one. And when he, that's Jesus, had ended his sayings in the audience of the people, he, that's Jesus, entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. So here's the scenario. Jesus had just got through teaching. He is now coming back to Capernaum. Meanwhile, in Capernaum, there's a centurion. A centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred troops or more. He was someone who was in charge. He was a very high-ranking soldier within the Roman army. And this man had a servant who was dear to him, who was sick. And he wanted his servant to live. He cared for the servant. So notice what this man does in verse number three. And when he, that's the centurion, heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him, Jesus, that he would come and heal his, the centurion, servant. So he goes out and says, get some Jewish elders. And he says, Hey, go talk to Jesus and go see if he'll heal my son or heal my servant. Notice in verse number four. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy, the centurion was worthy for whom to do this. For he loveth his nation and he hath built us a nice synagogue. Now let's pause here. This, you may read it in black and white and say, okay, well, this is nice that the satyrian wanted Jesus to go, so he sent some Jewish elders to go out and to go uh, (coughs) uh, heal his servant. And when they get to Jesus, they say nice things to him. Well, if we take that, that's nice. But if we take world history into view, this becomes really important. You understand that the Jewish nation was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And they resented it greatly. You understand that the Hebrew nation was not conquered by the Roman Empire. I mean, that's one thing if the army came in and they conquered you and you say, well, there's nothing more I could do about it. Uh, That's one thing. Uh, You could still resent them, but that's a different type of resentment. Then there's an idea where you willingly join. All right, who wants to join the Roman Empire? Me! But they didn't do that either. You know how they ended up joining the Roman Empire? They had a guy who was an Idiomite, or we would know in the Old Testament as an Edomite. So someone from another nation had wiggled his way into uh, leadership of the Hebrew nation, and he made a contract and pretty much sold the nation to the Romans. Meaning that the people like, hey, by the way, you're now Roman citizens, good job. What just happened here? And because of that, the Hebrew people were very resentful of this. That they were put into the Roman Empire by trickery, by politics. Now it did not help that the Jewish people also believed that the only person they had to answer to was God. And so I answer to God. I don't have to answer to some human government. I definitely don't have to go answer to some Gentile government. So this is why the Jewish people were always resentful. This is why there was always rebellions. This is why uh, any Roman governor who was assigned to go to Jerusalem, it was considered for them, uh, you made someone mad to go there. It wasn't a political step up. It was very much a sideways or a downward thing if you were assigned to Jerusalem. Because all these rebellions, and if you couldn't keep the rebellions under control, well then you're punished oftentimes. Uh, the Caesar, the emperor, would just kill you because you couldn't do your job. And so this was a political nightmare. And so the Roman soldiers, the Jewish people hated the Roman soldiers because of the control they had. Under Roman law, they could look at someone and say, hey you, you, you have to go carry something for me. And under Roman law, they can compel you to carry something for a mile. And so, hey, I need something carried you. You come do it now. And you didn't have a choice. Well, how would you like if someone came and said, hey, you, you go carry this heavy thing. You got to carry it for a mile. People weren't happy with this arrangement. They were not happy with the things that were going on. And so the idea that a centurion had developed such a testimony for the Hebrew people, this was special. He went and noticed who he called Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse four. And when they came, uh, sorry, verse number three, and when he heard of Jesus and sent unto him the elders of the Jew. These are the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, the, the people who are high up in the community, the pillars of the Jewish community. He came to them and said, hey guys, can you do me a favor? Can you go talk to Jesus? And they said, we'd be glad to. No, notice these Jewish elders. They're coming, they don't have any centurion guards. They don't have like a spy behind them. They don't have someone looking, and say, you better tell them. They went by themselves and they ran to Jesus and they besought him instantly. This carries the idea of earnestly that they came um, and interrupted and say, Jesus, we need to talk to you. I know you're busy, but they kind of got in the way and said, Jesus, we need you to go heal the centurion servant. Notice what they said about this. They said that he, the centurion, was worthy for whom Jesus shall do this. Hey, you need to go help the centurion because he's worthy. This is a good guy. Hey, we all know that there's people in our minds that we would say, hey, they are worthy to be cured of cancer. And then there's some people that said, ah, nah, they got what they deserve. We, it may not be right, but we do think that sometimes. They got what they deserved. Or, hey, you know what? Oh, look at how good of a life they had. They shouldn't have to suffer like this. They go up and say, this guy is a man who is worthy for you to heal his servant. He is worthy for you to do something in his life. They go on and explain, for he loveth our nation. Hey, this is a Roman soldier who actually loves our nation. He loves the Hebrew people. He's not against us. He's trying to help us. You know how much he wants to help us? He built us a synagogue. Now, imagine here that we had someone in Green Bay area that said, you know what? I really love those Baptist people. There's not a lot of them, but I love those Baptist people. And there's a special church over there. Hey, let's build them a brand new church building for someone to take that financing on to buy us some land. I mean, he's really got to like us just maybe a little bit, right? This is a guy who loved the Jewish nation and he built them a meeting place for them. This is a guy, and the Jewish people are saying, hey, this is a worthy guy. They wouldn't do that for every Roman soldier. But this is a guy that according to them, he is worthy. This is a guy who loves our nation. This is a guy who who really is invested in us. We like him. This is someone that you will never regret doing a miracle for. This is what others said about him. He's taken a deep interest in the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew people responded in kind. This is a good guy. This is someone that you should do this miracle for. Now notice if you don't mind. Not only what others said of this man. Notice what this man said, thought of himself. How did he think of himself? Notice if you don't mind in verse 6. Then Jesus went with him. And when he was not now, <laughs> now not far from the house... The centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shalt enter into my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee, but say in a word, my servant shall be healed. So here's the centurion. Everyone else is saying great things about him, but you know what he thought? He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You know, sometimes the problem is, is that when people start bragging on you, it is hard to receive that. Um, I was talking with a young man who, who preached not too long ago and people said, good job, good job. And he says, how do I deal with that? I mean, that's always hard, you know, especially when you said it's God that's doing it. Just all you do is say, praise the Lord. And you try to deflect it. You know, the problem is, is that if we start believing our own press, we will ruin ourselves. Because, you know, if you're living the life you should, there are going to be some people who think highly of you. And praise the Lord for that. It's always good that at least someone likes you. But if you start believing all the good things that people say about you, you'll start to believe them yourself. Well, you know, I'm not that bad of a guy. And when you start thinking yourself more highly than what you really are, you start to depend upon yourself. You start to have pride. You start to have problems. And so here's a guy that people are praising. But this is a man who also had a realistic view of himself that said, hey, I'm not all that. They they may say nice things, but I'm not worthy. He goes in verse number six, uh, six Jesus went with him when he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, trouble not thyself. I am not worthy that thou shalt enter to my roof. So he sends out guards, and he's not being pious. He's sending out a realistic. Hey, why should I have Jesus come in here? He, I'm not worthy for Him to come to my house. It's, it's not. I'm not worthy of the Prince of uh, Princes, the King of Kings, the Prince of Israel to come. Uh, no, no, no. Just all He has to do is say a word. He goes on in verse number uh, seven. Wherefore, neither I thought my worthy to come to me. Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be in Your presence. I, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. And so he, he just says, Jesus, all you have to do is just say a word. That's it. I, I don't need you to come to my house. I need to come to you. I, I, I'm not worthy to go up there. You know, sometimes people go to the uh, throne room of grace and feel like they're bossing God around. God, I need you to take care of this. And I need you to take care of this. And I need you to take care of this. Who are we to approach the God of gods, the King of kings, and give him orders to demand anything of him? All we can do is go up and say, God, I'm not worthy. But if you don't mind, would you please take care of this? The idea that we're not worthy. You know, the problem is oftentimes, and sometimes why we don't see answers to prayer, why we see things falling apart is because we do think we're deserving. God, I deserve you to give me a brand new car. God, I deserve a brand new house. God, I deserve this. We don't deserve anything. We deserve hell. My pastor taught me something a long time ago I never forgot. As I was working with a, a man in discipleship. And he would often go to the place of uh, whining and complaining. Yeah. Oh I'm just a no good scumbag horrible. And he would go on like that. And what he wanted in return was the pat in the back. Oh you're fine. It's all right, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so horrible. And, And what would happen is that people would pat him on the back, including me. It's all right. It's all right. We all make mistakes. We all, and what would happen is that wasn't helping the guy at all because it was feeding his ego. Well, then I'm not that bad. I'm all right. Well, he did that to my pastor once. And my pastor said, listen here, you're a no good scumbag sinner who's worthy of hell. And so am I. That did more to help that man's mind and attitude than all the, there, there. We're we're not worthy of anything. We're not worthy to approach the throne room of grace. Now, he has invited us and we have permission to do so. But we shouldn't take it for granted. We're not deserving of so many things. And what a difference of mind and attitude this man had compared to what everybody said about him. He didn't believe his own press. He recognized who he was. I'm not worthy. I'm a nobody. I want God to answer prayer and I'm asking him, but I'm not worthy of it. So God, he sent messengers out and said, here, you don't have to come to the house. You don't have to. All you have to do is say word. That's all you have to do. Now that brings us to the third thing here. What Jesus thought of him. Which is always the most important thing. We saw what others thought about him. We saw what, a bit, what he thought about himself. But then we see what Jesus thought about him. So he ends up and says Jesus all you have to do is say a word. Notice with me we continue with that thought in verse number 7. Wherefore neither thought I worthy to come to thee. But say in a word and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man. For I also am a man set under authority and having under me soldiers and I say unto thee go and he goeth and to another come and he cometh and to my servant do this and he doeth it. Now here's a man who has understood the simplicity of a chain of command. It's something that they teach you in the military uh, (coughs) which is great training more people need to have this mindset is that I am under authority That means whatever the boss tells me to do, it's my job to do. And then when I have people under me, they have the responsibility. When I say go, he goes. He doesn't say, but why? Why do I have to go? You don't have that choice in the military. You go. Yes, sir. Go do this. Yes, sir. That makes things simple. I obey authority. And then those under me should obey my authority. And he says, God, all you have to do is say a word and it's done. That's as simple as it is. We like to make things complicated. Almost we want to do rituals. All right, God, we're gonna heal Brother Orland. So we're gonna lay him there and we're gonna put rocks around him and put candles, we're gonna put sweet smelling things over him, and we're gonna pray over him. We're gonna pray. When all that really needs to be done is, God, all you do is say a word. And that's all that's needed. That's it. All you do is say a word. And that's all that's necessary. Because everything's under God's authority. God doesn't need our help. He just needs to say a word. That's it. Everything's taken care of. And so this is all the man said to Jesus. You don't have to go to me. I don't have to go to you. You don't have to come this way. Just say a word and it's done. That's it. That's all that's required. So Jesus hears this. Verse number nine, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Notice that word marvel. This is going to be important. I'll come back to it in just a second. He marveled at him and turned about him and said to the people that followed him. So remember, you have the elders that came. And of course, the crowd's always following Jesus. But you have elders who had the synagogue built for them. The messengers that came to Jesus. And Jesus turns and addresses this crowd. And he says, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus marveled. Do you know that there's only two times the gospel records say that Jesus marveled? One, because he marveled at some people's unbelief, but here he marveled at someone's belief. Now, this word marvel in regards to Jesus doesn't mean it caught Jesus by surprise, where he goes, Whoa, whoa, (laughs) I didn't see this coming. But this idea of marvel comes the idea that this is a big deal. This is a big deal. This, this Roman centurion is a Roman. He's not a Hebrew person. He's not Jewish. And yet he has more faith than the rest of you guys. Because he just believed that God all you do is say a word that's it. That easy. God I believe in authority. You're in charge of everything. All you need is to say a word and it's done. That's it. Jesus says, I haven't found someone great great faith. You know, what is faith? It's looking unto Jesus. It's believing in his word. We don't have to do a lot of hoopla or expect a lot of hoopla. Big flash, big flare, put it on a big show. Jesus just has to say a word. It's that simple. Just say a word. Jesus looks back and said, this is a man of great faith. I haven't seen someone in all of Israel. I've looked. Here's a man who has great faith. How does it turn out? Verse number 10. And they that were sent, so these last people that were sent, returned to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. That's it. That's it. He came back and... Everything was healed. Just like the man had said, just say a word. That's all that's needed. Jesus turns around and says, this man's got great faith. They go back to the house and that servant's healthy. He's up and moving. It's like he would never been sick. Just that quick. What a wonderful God. Now, when we look at ourselves, don't we want to have answers to prayer like that? Don't we want to have that type of relationship where we can just trust God, say, God, just say a word? How do we get such a thing? Well, the good thing is that the Bible gives us an answer for that. Turn with me, if you don't mind, the gospel record of John. The gospel record of John chapter 5. <coughs> Let's just make things simple. I like it when things are simple. Jesus in John 15 is in the last hours before he is arrested and put on a false trial and sentenced to death. Him and his <coughs> disciples, that's all that's here. This isn't a big crowd. He's already observed the Last Supper. Judas is scared, it is already taken off. And Jesus has gathered the eleven that's left, and he's giving him his last words. Before he goes to the cross. And so this is an important time. It's John 14, 15, 16, 17. By this time in John 15, they've left the upper, uh, t- uh, the upper room and they are walking together to the Garden of Gethsemane. So get this in your mind. Jesus and the 11, Jesus is walking. They're heading to Gethsemane now. It's already nighttime. And he's gathering the disciples and he's telling them this secret just these 11, private conversation. Notice with me, let's just go to one verse in verse number 7. Uh, John 15 and verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Isn't that simple? John 15 verse 7. This word abide, we have to understand what this word abide. Because he says, if ye abide in me. So what's this abide mean? The word abide means to dwell in, to live with. If you abide in me, if you walk with me, if you stay with me. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? There has to be an agreement if you're going to dwell with them, if you're going to have harmony inside of a place. I'm going to abide with you. I'm going to live with you, notice as he goes on, and my words abide in you. So we could see that we are abiding in Christ, we have this fellowship with Christ, this walking with Christ, we're living with Christ, and His words live with me. So you understand this is a relationship here that we've developed. By the way, when it says his words abide in me, it carries the idea that they live within me. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against me. This is not an idea where a chapter a day keeps the devil away. That's a horrible saying, by the way. This isn't the idea, well, I read my chapter, I'm good with God. This is the idea of saturating yourself with the word of God. Reading your word until God has spoken to you. Reading and abiding in his word till you've been with him, making your soul happy with the Lord. You know, we have so many different Christianism today that, you know, just read this many chapters and checked off the box. It's not how much you read. It is how you're reading it. Are you abiding with him? Are you spending time with him? Are you dwelling with him? God made this promise here that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Remember, we started at the very beginning. We talked about faith. That faith cometh by here. Sorry, old wrong verse. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. The only way to please God is faith. Amen. So the next question is, is, we asked, is what is faith? We got to understand what it is. Faith is taking God at his word. Just believing what God said. So the next question is where do I get faith? Do I just stand here and go come on get faith. Come on faith. Come on. Where do we get faith at? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. If you ever find yourself I'm weak in faith. You know what you need? More of the word of God. To abide in Christ. You know what you need? The word of God. Again, this is a type of Bible reading that's not the idea that my words touched every, my eyes touched every word in the paper. Kind of like you read for high school, right? Did you read your assignment? Uh Uh-huh, my eyes touched every word. It's not that type of reading. It's reading to abide in him, to live with him, to hide in you, to put those words in you. My words have I hid in my heart that I might, thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's to put them in here, to cram them in here. That carries the idea of meditate. Let me give you another example. Again, we're talking about where do we get the faith? How do we get this idea of abiding with Christ? If I can ask you, what did you read this morning? And you go, um, urgh, oh. Well, you didn't read your Bible like this. When you read your Bible to, feed your soul when you read your Bible to abide in Christ you're looking for him and if you look for him he will be found God show me yourself today and God says I'll be glad to and as you read your Bible he will show you he'll teach you about something of him today and you go that's great and you think about it during the day it'll pop back up oh man I read this morning oh I, it's great Man, I I love the Bible reading times that I have where I get so excited. I call my wife at work and say, honey, you know what I read today? This is great. I couldn't wait to tell you. That's good stuff. Man, I like so much when I read the Bible and something pops up that I got to call a preacher friend. Hey, you know what I saw in my Bible today? This is great. And that's good. That's how it should be. That we have something deep inside that we got something from God's word. And by the way, every time you read it, you should find something like that. How much Bible should I read? Well, if you're going to be honest, you read until you get something. Sometimes it may be one chapter. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it may be 10 chapters, 20 chapters. You get something, you read until God gives you something. And you go, this is good, this is great. Then you have something to think about God about and you're abiding in him and then as you're thinking about him and you're abiding in him and you have that relationship and then God brings a prayer request in your mind bring someone to mind you could have confidence that God's going to answer this God's going to do this i've been abiding with him and as i've been abiding with him he's given me the mind of Christ he's telling me what he wants and i could with confidence pray and just expect that all i need is a word <laughs> just Tell me, what you're, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Christianity, true Christianity is simple. If we're abiding with him, we can expect with great faith, all he has to do is give a word, that's it. It's all I need. You know, oftentimes when I pray, again, forgive me, I'm rambling a little bit, but I think it may be a help. Sometimes when I've got a big prayer request, something big, all I need to hear from heaven is that God says, I got it handled. We're good. It's all I need. If he doesn't want to tell me how he's doing it, that's fine. I'm just going to expect for him to do it. What a great comfort that is when God says, I got it handled. Good. Okay. Oh, so and so. They're so far away from God. God, will you do something? God says, I got it handled. Okay. Good. We're good. What a comfort that is. How simple that is. I'm glad that we don't have to butter God up. Oh dear God of Jeroboam and the Boam boys. And Jehoshaphat and all the fat brothers. I'm glad we don't have to use fancy titles. Just simple thing. God. You know what prayer is? It's asking. You know what answer to prayer is? Receiving. Asking and receiving. God is able to do such things. This is why Jesus said it was great All he needed to do was that Jesus said, here, Jesus say, I got it handled. That's all I need. I don't need you to come visit me. I don't need a warm, fuzzy feeling. I don't need bright lights. I don't need you to show up to my house. I don't have to go make a trek to you. All I need you to say is you got it handled. And Jesus turned around and said, great faith. And he marveled. He marveled great faith. Why? Because it was simple. It was simple. I could trust God for this. I pray. He said he's got it handled. I could expect it to be accomplished. If you abide in me and my words abide in ye, you, you ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Great faith.